welcome to PopShot. I'm Seb, I'm hosting today, which is new. And for this, I'm joined by three wonderful people to discuss a wonderful game. First up, I'm joined by Alex Collins. Alex, what's the last film you saw and how did you like it? It's actually a boring one. It's um, it's the Barbie mm. movie. Uh, I watched it out at nice the like an old cinema sort of classic one um, in town. I really enjoyed it. I loved it actually. I think the third act was a bit weak, maybe compared to the hype. Um, it lost its way a bit, but no, I loved I loved the movie overall. It was really really funny. Um, I have to say, um, what's his name? The main actor. Uh. Ryan Gosling stole the show. 100%. Absolutely, dude. I wouldn't be against him winning, like, supporting actor or something for that role. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, great I movie. saw that a week ago, and the I'm just Ken Ballard is still permanently stuck in my head. <laughs> There's so many good jokes yeah. throughout the show, throughout the movie. I'm also joined by Manus. Manus, what's the last film you saw, and what did you think of it? So, I watched Interstellar last, and that was mm. on Amazon, because... I've seen it before, obviously, but my my brother bought it on Amazon, rented it accidentally, so I thought, why not? What did you think <laughs> of it? I mean, it's incredible. We all know that. Um, it was like really I've actually nice. not watched it. You haven't it. watched it? Oh my God. You have to. No. <laughs> it, was, it is incredible. Okay, I'll give it a Might shot. Might be unpopular, but I still think it's slightly overrated. Anyway... <laughs> We're also joined by Loken. Loken, what's the last film you saw? And what did you think of it? Also, how's your hip? Uh, yeah, yeah, my hip's okay. Um, for context, I hurt it. I think it's my groin, really, um, when celebrating the rice goal at the pub. So, yeah, it's, I think it's okay. Um, yeah, uh, the last film I watched was The Gentleman, like Manas. It was a rewatch. It directed by Guy Ritchie that sounds familiar but I, I genuinely know nothing about movies so I don't really know what that means but I know it's a, like a studded cast with Colin Farrell and Matthew McConaughey who's also in Interstellar right um, so yeah it's it's a really good film actually I forgot how good it was wonderful for completion purposes the last film I watched was Tar with Kate Blanchett very good but we're not a movie podcast sadly enough but we're here to talk about an equally joyous thing, and that's Arsenal beating Manchester United 3-1. The battle of which team is back and which team is fucked has been decided. Arsenal is back and Manchester United is over. To quickly summarize the game, after failing to progress into Arsenal's defensive third, United opened the scoring on 28 minutes through their first shot of the game, as usual. Marcus Rashford being fed a long ball in transition and converting easily. Arsenal immediately responded, though, through an effort from Martin Odegaard, a mere 60 seconds after restarting play. United thought they had won the game on, 90, uh, on 89 minutes after Alejandro Ganacho scored in transition, but it turned out to be offside via elite defensive positioning from Gabriel, I must say. The game seemed to head towards a stalemate when Rice scored the decisive 2-1 in the 96th minute, Fergie time, you could say after a corner kick landed at his feet on the back post before Gabriel Jesus scored the dagger in the 101st minute to put the game to bed. I think there is a lot here for us to dissect uh, throughout the game, but something that stood out is that United had 55% possession at the end of the first half, yet barely created anything and barely entered the final third in general. 
Um, Alex, how did the Arsenal defensive approach, the out-of-possession approach in general, stop United from progressing play? Um, I think the important thing to start off with here is I think we didn't want to be drawn out and kind of caught in positions where they could get in behind us. So I think just to speak how United built out from the back, and I think they they controlled, especially in the first half, they, they did some nice stuff in deeper areas, but a lot of what they were trying to do, at least to my eye, was kind of draw us forward and then get Lissandro coming, coming central, um, kind of to have like 2v2 just past the first line of pressure. And to avoid that, I think we, we went for quite a zonal sort of approach that I don't know how to really term it because the roles were really interesting, but like maybe a 4-2-3-1, 4-2-4 sort of thing where we use the striker, um, Eddie, to kind of cut off the line. And then we had an interesting sort of marking role between the eights, which is kind of what made it like, to my eye, 4-2-3-1 at least at times, was one of them, Odegaard or Havertz, would stay high. Generally, Havertz on the six, and then the other one would kind of drop in a little bit to protect space. Um, and then, yeah, the wingers were also interesting. Um, Saka always has kind of an interesting role in these games, especially with the danger that Rashford poses. But he had a lot of area to cover himself. You'd see him kind of starting at the back line and then kind of tucking in and trying to cover that space. I think a lot of it um, was just was just not overcommitting early, which, which I think is maybe lessons learned from the past. Um, and a lot of it had to do with Onana because... He he's 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 the reason that they can kind of add that extra man now because he kind of acted almost as one of the two centre backs in terms of his passing roles. So I think that that was a huge difference compared to last time we played them at the Emirates was just what Anana was doing on the ball and the fact that we didn't even try pressure him, whereas we did really try pressure them with with David de Gea. Logan, do you want to add on that? Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, I, yeah, I, I agree completely with especially with that um, Onana characterization in that he wasn't the press trigger that David De Gea was. It kind of reminded me um, of the Brighton game just in in that we had a very clear out of possession, um, almost out of possession oriented approach in the first half to, to start the game as we did um, with Brighton, even though like the particulars are very different. Um, there were some things that I was quite impressed with by United or, or Ten Hag sort of in that um, Ericsson's dismarking movements to sometimes manipulate um, the positioning of, of one of Havertz or Odegaard and then Dallow higher to kind of exploit Saka or, or so that Saka couldn't be the the hybrid player and, and, and press onto Martinez and in on a couple of occasions actually we, Onana was able to pass around and catch her to Martinez which actually kick-started one of their chances early in the in the second half um, but by and large, I, I think we did really well to kind of, we were happy to concede possession, but we didn't concede territory at all. And I think we contained them really well, especially in the first half. I think that second half chance you were talking about, um, Manus and I rewatched together and it was Eddie pushes up too quickly. Then it goes into, I think it goes into Ericsson, into Bruno and then into Rashford very, very quickly. Um, one of the things why I think they, they managed to do quite well against us is also part of the reason why it's kind of hard to see what we were doing without a bit more of a rewatch is we were going for quite an interesting approach, but not always pulling it off. Um, John McKenzie, friend of the pod, all of that, um, kind of made the points um, that it looked like Odegaard was the only one who really knew, knew what was going on. And 
on rewatch, I could really see that he was constantly kind of telling Saka to come in or Havertz to kind of block a certain lane. Um, and I think Eddie also was maybe a bit too eager at times. So United did do quite well, I think, in terms of their control or manipulation in deeper areas, but it had just as much to do with, um, with our maybe lack of complete confidence in the actions that each and jobs that each player had. Yeah, it was definitely a unique approach considering other games, uh, partly due to the opposition. Um, but there was a change, at least in what had happened in the game itself. Um, in the second half, Arsenal had thir- uh, 65% possession as opposed to the 45 they had in the first half. Manners, was there a susceptible difference in the out-of-possession approach Arsenal had in the first half compared to the second half that would have led to the increase in possession and control? I felt on the rewatch that in the second half, United decided to sit off like we decided to sit off in the first half. They just didn't push their front four up. Uh, out of possession, they had a screen of four, uh, which we sort of manipulated pretty well to build out through the sides. But they just didn't engage with us in the second half. And that's why we saw a lot more possession, similar to how they had a lot more possession. And just to, you know, um, summarize the discussion that we just had about our out-of-possession shape, like just to summarize what Alex and Lawton just said, United had 45% of their touches, 44-45% of the touches that they had, it was in their own defensive third. And then another 40-42% touches in the middle. And they had about 14% touches in the final third. So that sort of summarizes how we approach the game. We just like let Onana have the ball and let him make the first pass out, but we're not going to get baited out, right? Yeah, there's sorry, there's just two things I want to touch on because I think that Manus made a really good point of um, sort of like categorizing where patterns of play emerge and stuff. But the most frequent pass... Um, was for, of, a, of United, sorry, was from Lindelof back to Onana, which I think is always a good sign from an Arsenal perspective. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say, just again, going back, but just in, in, in thinking back to the United game that we played in preseason, which I know feels like a long time ago, but I rewatched it again, also a long time ago. I think I worried at the time that we were susceptible to being drawn out by a man-to-man approach. And even though we were able to dominate duels with our man-to-man approach, particularly with Havertz, Rice and Ketcher, those sorts of things, even in the back line, we were kind of susceptible to being drawn out. And I think Havertz, uh, Rice was, we played in sort of a very distinguishable 4-1-4-1 where Rice was drawn out to the wing sometimes to offer channel support. And that's actually how Bruno scored in the game for the first goal, which is a bit fluky, but that doesn't really matter. And I think in this game, we were less man-to-man in that respect. And there was, and it's kind of also why there was a less discernible out-of-possession shape because there was also, there was so, so almost like a staggered positioning of Havertz and Odegaard to at once cover a man and also block space. So sometimes it looked like a five, a four-five-one um, with a lot of like good central compactness while also kind of engaging them high. So it was like an in-between approach. It was, it was quite, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I was just wanted to add that, and you will not hear this from me ever again. But Onana <laughs> was probably their best passer, and yeah. that's that's he's basically all the improvement that they've made this season. And he like 
if they do continue to progress i think his ability to pass in the same direction that he's been pressed from is going to come in like handy like when eddie was trying to press him from the right he would pass it around him or over him i think that's something that uh, that he did really well but then again you don't jump the same player that's the free player if you jump them and then you know they can access their eights in the middle so we didn't do that and that's why there is no discernible pressing shape aspect we were handling off the number 6 i have sometimes odegaard would handing it off to havertz havertz was handing him off to odegaard and that that's how we you know stop them from playing out and you know have onana play the long ball which we can control yeah i think what impressed me most with onana wasn't just the passing which we all know he's very very good at both in selection and execution but just the arrogance and yeah arrogance is basically the best word to say to bait opponents very very hard um and the the arrogance to to believe in yourself as such that you're continuing to do that as even if there is a mistake involved um alex was there anything you wanted to add you had your hand up um maybe just to add on to your last point about the hand previously i think that's something i forgot already but just to add on to your last point i think they did try to bait us and kind of i guess i think lorcan was touching on this a bit by comparing us to like how we played against brighton but what i really liked is that we didn't get caught up in it and we did kind of have an approach where i think i don't think it was the most effective although on rewatch it looked better than i i felt at the time and felt at the time like we were just not doing anything and they weren't doing anything and it was just kind of like a tetchy affair um but yeah we did kind of feel in control of it by not getting baited i think it'll be interesting um to see how we adapt this versus teams like city where we we also in the community shield we it was a different kind of approach where we were avoiding being baited but i think that's definitely something that we're looking to do this season um with our out of possession approach not just being that aggressive intensive like winning the ball back high because we're very good at that but also seeing where teams are strong and really trying to minimize that so we knew that this is how united wanted to get us a little bit high a little bit exposed get the ball into to guys like Rashford um that's what they were looking to do you know knock ons i think martial had a terrible game but you could kind of see when onana went long once or twice the vision of hoylands there kind of knocking the ball on we were trying to avoid those sort of situations where there is space in behind and i just think it's an it's a nice tactical evolution we've spoken about how consistent we were in possession last last season i think we were more varied with our out of possession approach but this even seems now a step further in terms of like general attitude to how we um control the team when we're out of possession which isn't always just intensive domineering and then sitting back at times but kind of looking to minimize their strengths yeah um just a general question did the out of possession approach work i think it did but i think it's also cuz united aren't that great yet i think there was that there, there was a bit of confusion um i think havertz was sometimes a bit slow to to react to certain situations i do think he had a good out of possession game overall um but maybe a bit slow but i think it was just getting used to the the system but we weren't really exposed by it because um because i just think united weren't th- that good in possession um they kind of controlled deep and had some nice little combinations and rotations but not really that penetrative moments except when they really got like the string of really good vertical passes together like 
Ericsson into Bruno into into Rashford sort of thing. I'd say if you are able to restrict the opposition to having almost half of the touches in the final third and you know restrict them to creating less than one goal on XG, I think the all out of possession play has worked. I tend to agree, yeah. Um, I think we've touched on the out-of-possession approach quite well. Um, Moving more into what we did when we had the ball. Uh, Alex, something you mentioned on the first watch and even more on the rewatch was Arsenal's problem with central progression and central penetration. Um, What do you think are the main causes of these issues? I have, yeah, we've spoken about the, the main causes before, and I think it remains true that we don't really have people who can receive inside the block, um, especially statically, which I know is something as Logan speaks about often. And I think particularly we could control it deep centrally well, but we couldn't move through in um in a way that I would say is like measured, but still dangerous, let me say, where it feels like there's there's a next step after receiving inside the block. We We often have to kind of manufacture these moments through kind of passing around and trying to pull their block and manipulate their block to kind of get like Urugo arriving or, or Havertz arriving and and it doesn't really come off, I think, because United are also pretty good with the out of possession, I thought, in in terms of particularly knowing run knowing like runs to follow and stuff. And I think we saw we saw that a bit. It it also happened last season when we played um when we played United at Old Trafford and we were much better with our central progression there but but they kind of clamped Odegaard and I think that was kind of true although he had a good game um, in, in the central things when we were trying to move through let's say the middle third um, the other thing is I think Havertz I, yeah I'm still waiting to see it with him in terms of receiving centrally and stuff and I know you feel a bit differently Seb I think he slows down play there um, he really does struggle like he can receive and pick a nice spot to receive but then he struggles to get it out of his feet to do the next action and by then they've restructured and they're ready to you know the the op- opportunities have closed up so he kind of had to pull wide to get his best opportunities um so yeah those are, those are the main reasons i think also not having some of that um players you can pin properly um yeah that would be my main my main issues with our central progression and and penetration yeah, I think after three years of playing as a center forward for Chelsea, his his actions when receiving back to goal are quite center forwardy. Like he finds those areas to receive the ball deeper, but his passes are almost exclusively either towards the uh, fullback on his side or back to the center back, and it became really noticeable in this game and uh, quite frustrating. Um, Loken, do you have anything else to add on the central progression issues? I I think Alex did a really good job summarizing the the bullet points I have in my head. Are, I think we did a better job of pinning the middle with Shinche- with Shinchenko in there. So I do think in that vein, even though we weren't able to to achieve central incision, we were still able to access players that were free by way of us pinning the middle. Yeah, I'd agree. So less often that was uh, central midfielders sort of receiving outside of the block past that that first line of press. And more often it was passing to Martinelli or Saka, who, uh, again, it was Martinelli more often than Saka, who had 
1v1 situations that they could theoretically exploit. Um, apart from that, it wasn't even though Zinchenko was there, it wasn't to me the system of old in that we both, we had one of Zinu, Zinchenko or Rice facing play outside of the opposition block more often than not. Um, again, Nketiah didn't drop as often as Jesus would. He's not as naturally associative. And then I completely agree, which I think is the most relevant point, in that we don't have midfielders who can receive. And I think if we're waiting on Havertz to do that, we'll be waiting forever. Alex? Uh, just one point to, to stray away and avoid Havertz discussion <laughs> for like for the week in a row. Um, dude, I found it really interesting how Zinchenko actually rotated with Rice at times. Well, come on. Um, to I that, don't yeah. know if you guys noticed that. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And... Um, especially, I mean, we we spoke about you know on the on the pod. I think we we refer back to it often, but it's because well, it's the first time Manus, Lorcan, and myself were all on the same pod. We kind of spoke about how we were going to get Rice into those left corridors to get to make the most out of him, um, his carrying, and I think it's still dangerous now. We we saw we saw the risk of that with his carrying and then losing the ball higher up. But he is really really good at driving play forwards, and I think down that sort of left corridor because he can he connects well with his right foot on the on the inside like that and can play play one twos well. I think those were some of our best moments in terms of actually being penetrative and incisive through the middle. Um with Sinchenko kind of rotated with him. So so that was that was interesting to see and I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing like how, how much if that becomes a thing. Manus, any final thoughts on central progression? I think it's pretty much summed up, but I would say the fact that we're not playing centrally also goes down to the opposition where they're screening with enough players or pressing with enough players to deny vertical balls directly into your hits. And even if you get there, there's no way you can turn most of the times. Either like either you have to, you know, manipulate the block laterally somehow or you know pin players centrally very effectively. Which we try to do through rotations in the center, like Alex said. Sometimes Zinchenko went at the right, Rice was on the left. But what's interesting is, as compared to the last game, we had much better connections on the left, like much deeper connections between Rice and Howards to progress through the left down to Martinelli than we did in the last game. So that's something, like that's something that's improved. But I think that's also a lot down to Zinchenko. Mm-hmm. Another general theme that's come up through the season and is quite interesting is Arteta's use of substitutions in general. Um, there seems to be a lot more variance and a lot more game-specific substitutions that are being made. Um, Alex, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, we, we made um, brief reference to it on the last part, but I think versus Fulham... Um, we nailed our substitutions. Arteta really did in terms of the players on, and I think the right time in the game. I think we put on the right players again to uh, not today against um, United yesterday, but maybe a bit late. Um, but when they came on right substitutions, I think they really added a lot. And it's just as much about quality of depth as it is about tactical options at this point. I mean, Fabio looks. Fabio's, you know, looks like he's had a season to settle in now. And yeah, he came on and changed the game. I think he's got now, what, all four of his assists or something in the Premier League have been off the bench. Um, and he got the assist last week as well. So he's a player who can really make a difference there. 
Um, I th- yeah, I think this is the one thing that we spoke about, all of us, that we wanted to see from Arteta this season is actually now that he has a squad available to him, making use of the substitutions and and he hasn't let us down yet. So I think, I think yeah, I think it, just having substitution subs to come off the bench that it can impact the game is is already a massive step up from last season. Yeah, I think substitutions this season are going to be extremely important since games have pretty much been played up to the 105, 110 minutes. Yeah. Or 100 minutes, let's say. Um, because when the timing of the substitution was around 75, 70-ish minute. And when you can... 75, yeah. yeah. when you can bring on quality like Jesus and you can bring quality like Fabio Vieira, like these guys can turn games, right? So you start with some with a set of principles that you want to have. You know, and then you change the game as in, you know, how it, it's like, how do you respond to the game in the second half as in when? I think substitutions this season are going to be much more strategic and the use of the squad, like, that's why you need a deeper squad. So I think players are going to play a lot of minutes this season. Because if you get substituted on at around 70 minutes, you're still playing 30 minutes. That's almost one half that you're playing. Yeah, I agree. We're still waiting for the Emil Smith Rowe substitution, but we can't ask for too much. <laughs> I was thinking at any the same. time. There was a big news um a day before the United game, and that was that Thomas Partey had picked up an injury in training. It seems to be a groin injury. There's no concrete reporting on the exact amount of time he'll be missing. Uh but before we get into general uh, the general impact that will have on the squad. Uh, we had a discussion last week about who should start in the United game, and I think there was pretty much a consensus that Thomas Partey would start in midfield. Um, I'm going to ask this to Loken. How do you think the general shape, both in terms of how the midfield uh, set up, but also the defense, how that would have changed were Partey available for this game? Yeah, in, in the... In last pod, I said, I, I, I don't know if I said if I expected or I wanted Party 6, Rice 8. Um, but I texted the, the, the podcast group chat thinking, saying that I, I, I think we'd see Rice 6 and Havertz 8 before the, the Party news. Um, so I don't know, in retrospect, easy to say, but I don't think it affected the lineup. I think that's the lineup that Arteta would have gone with. Um, obviously, we wouldn't have averted, We wouldn't have inverted Party from right back with Zinchenko back, in my opinion, at least. So that would leave one position for Party to play, and that would be the six. And I do think Arteta did want to play Havertz in the eight in that position um, in, in that match. Rather, we'll talk about exactly why maybe a bit later. Um, yeah. So it, in that game particularly, I don't think it impacted the squad. Or the, or the starting 11, rather. All right. Um, how will this generally affect the squad? We're lose, we, we, we talked about tactical flexibility throughout preseason and the start of the season because of uh, renewed options, but with Timber and Partey now being injured, one longer than the other, obviously, a lot of the tactical flexibility we did speak about seems to have gone missing. How do we think the squad is looking in terms of depth for f- four competitions this season. Yeah, I it I, I tweeted before that I think a lot of our tech- tactical flexibility depends on the availability of particular players 
almost all of whom are injury prone, which is not cool. Like in Zinchenko, Tomiyasu, and and Thomas Partey. Yeah. So we can't really invert from the right unless we were to do it with no. I mean, we can't invert with the right. So I guess the question is, what do we do in Zinchenko's absence? We've lost, so we've lost Partey and Timber early on this season, both of whom were options to invert from either side, Timber from either side, mainly from the left, I think, and Partey from the right. So I guess we'll see what happens in that respect. In 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 using last season as a case study for when Zinchenko was absent, we tended to deploy more of a 4-1 build-up structure, which was like var- variably a 3-2, 4-2, build-up structure with... Tierney or Tomiyasu inverting, not quite in the way that Zinchenko would, but situationally. And I, in the rewatch, I, I really was impressed with how Tomiyasu did that. Like we start with a 4-1 build-up structure, but then when the ball gets worked to the right centre-back, he inverts for sort of a horizontal passing option. So yeah, I, I, I think it, com- the long and short of it, I think it complicates our tactical flexibility long-term. I'm not sure what we can really do in Zinchenko's absence. And I'm a bit worried but I guess it's a good thing that it's the international break now and players get some rest. You wrote in preseason about the Kivio at left back thing we did in the Nuremberg game and the United game, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. I think it was just Nuremberg. It was just just Nuremberg. Nuremberg. Do you think there's scope for that to happen at some point in the next few weeks if Sinchenko were to pick up an injury? Yeah, maybe. The, um, I talked a lot in that article about what Arsenal were doing, but I think uh, maybe it goes without saying, but what I didn't mention is a lot of that was perhaps made possible by Nuremberg's approach. And there, was, there wasn't much pressure at all in the first line. There were hardly any instances in which Kivior was, fa- was receiving with his back face to um, the goal. So I don't know. I think it would be possible and even cool for, for um, defensive transition control as well against lower blocks against the bigger teams I I don't know I don't know whether he'd prefer Tommy Asu doing that I think he inverts more than Kivior did albeit in that 45 minutes um, but yeah the shorter answer is I'm not quite mm. sure we're now obviously in September which means the transfer window is closed and the squad is what it is uh, Manas how do you think the squad is looking now generally now that we know who the players are that we'll have at least until January. I feel it's a bit of like we have, we have to gamble now because like it is what it is. And like Logan was talking about like we have to find solutions if Zinchenko gets injured. And so those might be you know either you start Tomiyasu and he inverts differently to how Zinchenko does it. Where the you know, the problem that he's trying to, you know, says is try to move the winger inside with him slightly so that the lane to Martinelli can open up. So I, I feel we'll, if, if it comes to that, I, I think what we'll probably do is we'll see a way of of building up, of trying to build up to access the wide areas as we, you know, keep doing. So that that's going to be the main things. Probably, you know, have one of the aids drop slightly deeper to play a wall pass and then which sort of attracts the wingers towards that eight slightly inside and then you can access the lanes outside so there might have to be tactical tweaks instead of personal tweaks 
but like we just have to go with what we have currently till till January. I feel we could have signed somebody, but when you think about it, we left our sales pretty much till the last hour, right? So and it was made pretty clear that we can't sign anybody if we don't sell. So instead of like you know balling it towards the end that we need a body and we need somebody in, which sort of creates your situations like Mari and Cedric. We said, okay, let's see, let's push it out till January. Maybe we can like get to January till then. Yeah, also, I also think the point's just about, I mean, who would we have brought in to be able to do the, the inverting role is the big thing for me. I would have been up for some for signing someone in that role, but I think even the options we were talking about ahead of deadline day would have been tactical adjustments if they were to come into the team. So it was one of those things, unfortunately, we have, yeah, you know, fullbacks inverting is a very important part of what we do and being able to not only just invert, but operate inside a block and receive under pressure and play through pressure um, from, from central areas. But it's, it's also, you know, it's a very hard profile to find currently um, on the market. Very true. And someone who has that profile is Alexander Zinchenko and he's back. Uh, he started the game and uh, started alongside Rice due to the absence of Partey, which meant a double pivot in possession that we haven't yet seen work together before. Um, Lorcan, how do you think the the Sinchenko rice pivot worked out in the game, especially considering there were a lot of instances in the first half where Sinchenko drifted towards the right, uh, so Rice can drift left more, Uh but refrained from it later on. Um, so how do you think that worked out generally? Yeah, I think it was the first uh, 10 to 15 minutes where we saw a lot of that of Zinchenko as, as the right pivot, as it were. And then after, which I haven't really seen talk of, but it was more like conventional 4-2 build-up structure when we did build deep with Havertz coming short as the second pivot, which, you know, I don't like. But... Um, yeah, as we talked about, Rice on that right, uh, sorry, Zinchenko on the right-hand side gets Rice on his favoured side, I suppose. I think it's also a reflection of Zinchenko having a freer role. So he's not just the right pivot, but he's someone he can roam around. If Rice is the pivot, then sort of, yeah, um, kind of like the, the concept of the pendulum pivot that I talked about in that QVO article, where Zinchenko has a bit of a freer role. And then I just, I don't know, I wonder if it is slightly, in, uh, if it was slightly in our possession consideration in that we already had somewhat of transition control on the right in, in Ben White, who was, who has that reserved sort of third centre-back position when we're building deep. Um, whereas uh, the person who's inverting from the left would be Zinchenko. And if he goes onto the right and, and Rice is therefore further left, then Rice is therefore given the license to protect the wide most channel on the left. So I, I don't know. I could just be, um, you know, talking out my ass. But yeah, I, I thought the the pivot in general worked well. And it was a nice sort of happy medium between a conventional double pivot with both of them inside the block. But then more often than not, something that we've been accustomed to see this season where it's a bit more fluid. Alex, do you think Zinchenko dropping left and dropping right and having more freedom is partly down to him be, uh, being considered the first receiver to get Rice out of those positions? 
I think so, um, to an extent. He just makes how we play a little bit more fluid, I think, and it, it does make it easier. But having said that, I mean, Rice was already looking much better. Every game, he, he seems to be looking more comfortable um, in those deep areas. Uh, um, something where I was still kind of, you know, not have, taking issue with him yet, but having like small criticisms in terms of feeling like he had kind of acting negatively when he was receiving kind of with players all around him, kind of taking that negative touch to be safe first and then looking for for maybe like what would generally then be open is like a back pass just to recycle possession. Um, in, the, in the earlier games, he's already now kind of taking the ball on the half term, driving forward, um, still not necessarily forcing play forward, which is, as we've spoken about, not something that a six should be doing. But having that like f- looking forward first and, and confidence to move forward um, under pressure yeah, I, I was really impressed with him, but I do think, yeah, I think Zinchenko coming in also makes his job a lot easier. It pulls um, pressure away from him a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I, I also think, in a way, this is kind of like the Zinchenko we saw when we were kind of chasing games in the second half of last season, especially when Gabby was out. Just having someone who can receive anywhere, can float anywhere, and using that to kind of pull pull the opposition apart. So... So I think using that a little bit deeper maybe to help Rice. Um, yeah, and I, I think it worked well. My my issues were really more once we kind of get into their half, being able to control the ball still centrally and be penetrative from there, which obviously is a bit ahead of, of um, Zinchenko and Rice. Yeah, uh, we've spoken a lot about Zinchenko, but the other part of that um, duo, if you want to call it that, uh, is Declan Rice who was the man of the match in this game. I think he was officially. Um, in my opinion, he was at least. I, 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 can't, I don't think that's even debatable. Yeah. Um, who wants to go first in gushing over the best player, the best central midfielder in the world currently, and maybe of all time? <laughs> I'll go first. He, I think this was probably the most accomplished number six performance from him for us so far. In the sense that he received on the half turn, and he's he's scanning and he's receiving on on the half turn. He's passing like punchy passes forward, and he's also breaking up play. If like sublime breakup of play, like he created, we created two chances from that. And his obviously his goal is absolutely sublime, you know, with a little help from Johnny Evans. You know, but he sort of deserved that at the end of that performance. Just coming back a little bit to the double pivot, I think the reason also why we wanted him on the left at times was to preserve that left-hand side connections. Where perhaps because Havertz is there, we want to preserve and we want to play the ball down to Martinelli because we also know that Saka is going to get doubled up. And the connections on the right side, we already have established connections. So we can work the ball down there much better than we can down on the left. So that's where maybe you want have, uh, Rice and Martinelli who have been playing together for the past four or five matches down the left side to preserve some 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 of those connections. But yeah, I mean, Rice was incredible in this game and probably the first time we saw him receiving inside the block and still playing through. Uh, he made, I think he made a, a few carries as well, which were extremely important. So I think, yeah, overall, 9 out of 10 performance. He was incredible. 
Alex, your main concern with Rice was him receiving inside the block and just generally receiving while on the half turn. How did you... Or back to play. Or back to play, yeah, exactly. Uh, How did you see the the performance in general? I agree with everything Manas said. I think, um, yeah, he's really improving a lot quicker than I would have ever expected, especially, you know, the general wisdom with regards to sixes is it'll take years for them really to nail down the roll. So I don't know if we're just seeing a steep learning curve and then, you know, the intricacies will take a lot longer. But... But I was in- incredibly impressed. The one, the one thing is, is just those carries forward are also so um, threatening, and I'm, I'm still trying to think of a way in which we can really tap into them a bit more without, you know, leaving our like rest defense a lot more open, um, which we did see, which we did see. So those, those aren't frustrations with Rice, but frustrations maybe with how we can get the most out of him at this point. But yeah, overall. Um, yeah, was delighted with his performance. I was really impressed. He was clearly man of the match long before the goal. Um, yeah, I think he. I think he was awesome. His just his ability to kind of. I was watching him for periods of the match, and just his ability to kind of know exactly where to be positioning himself at all times is is really really good. I think his intelligence defensively is basically yeah unreal. He looks yeah he looks like a player with the money that we spent. Um, to be honest. And yeah, I don't have much more to say. <laughs> yeah. So just to add on to that, I think the fact that he's also learning to when to approach the half space when the ball's being worked out wide, because since we don't build up through the center anymore, the idea to come into center in into the central areas is in the final third. So you work the ball onto the wings and then you find the horizontal pass center. Because Horizontal passes in general sort of tricky and risky, and you know coaches tell you not to not to play those passes, especially in midfield. Because if you lose the ball, you're done. But those passes can be played from the wide areas when you're like at the edge of the box. That's fine. You can lose the ball there, and you have time to recover. So access of those areas when Rice, you know, he didn't do that in this game a lot. At least he didn't receive that. But Odegaard did. So. Access of those areas is extremely important to how we create and how we, you know, make our shots. So him doing that so early in his Arsenal career, like it's incredible sign that he's learning really fast. Yeah, Alex, you mentioned something quite interesting and something I wanted to touch on, which was the moments when Rice push, pushes forward, tries to carry, or even play a one-two with uh, one of his teammates to get into the final third. We saw that a few times against United and it left considerable gaps in midfield that United could have exploited and did exploit in some instances on the break. Do you think that's a concern? And if so, how do we mitigate those spaces being opened up if and when Rice goes up there? Or should Rice even go up there in general if he was to play the six? I'm not sure. I think... This is a tough one. I mean, if he was obviously operating as the eight with someone to kind of fill in the space behind, then then absolutely. Um, but I'm not sure who would fit really who would really uh, like take up that space that I'd be comfortable defending in transition. Um, trying to think. I mean, if we had Partey, that was sort of my idea for this game. Um, was having Partey as the six so we could use Rice in that way. I think especially because at times 
I mean, we, we've kind of spoken very glowingly about this performance. I feel like without saying that it was a glowing performance, but I don't think it was. I think the lack of central penetration was very frustrating at times. And I kind of get, I kind of get it in one sense because we had access to the wide areas quite, particularly on the left, quite found that quite easy. So it was almost like going for the easy route um, a lot of the time that we didn't try force it through centrally, but it's also because we couldn't really. Um, so that going into the game, my idea was using those carries from Rice, but it was very much um, premised on Partey being able to to cover the space behind. I'm not sure if Jorginho would do, if he would be able to do it, we would actually need to um, protect him a little bit more because I think Jorginho is weakest when he has space to step up to in transition moments. That's also when his decision-making is the worst, just because I think he's very aware of his limitations. Um, so tries to act more rashly to get there quicker and it's not always the best decision. I think that's the one criticism I always heard of, like heard about him at Chelsea and it does bear true. I think he was exposed a lot more at Chelsea, right? So we'd have to make sure he wasn't exposed. I'm not sure using a fullback coming in would be the right plan either, but perhaps... Um, so that, that is one issue with me, uh, for me with, with using Rice forward. And I think you'd have to be very sparing about when you go forward. And I do think we, you know, we rode our luck, not rode our luck, but, but took risks a little bit with one or two of the times where he did try to go forward. That's a beautiful answer. And one we'll be marinating on for a few minutes now, as we are taking a break. Let's see you soon. Beautiful break. Loved it. Um, what we also loved was the performance, but uh, Alex already mentioned that it wasn't exclusively positive, the entirety of the performance. I think we should touch on a few things that maybe um, didn't work so well. Um, and the first thing we should mention is probably the biggest talking point in the entire Arsenal fan base at this point, and that's Kai Havertz. Um, Logan, you were very, very um, adamant about Havertz not coming out of the second half uh, while the game was happening. Um, what did you make of the entirety of the performance after having watched the first and second half? Yeah, so I think, yeah, I, I was quite angry because I think his limitations are extremely self-evident. And I think where I've arrived on the Havertz 8 experiment is that in the aggregate, the, the this is the idea at least, he wins you games at the end of attacking phases with his finishing, his box movement, things like that, which he's getting, he's really getting into good positions, um, but not finishing them off. And that's not to say that he's doing really well because he's not, he needs to be finishing those off, but you can see the vision there and he's elite out of possession. It's just all the things in between where you kind of hope he can be okay enough that you get that marginal gain in the grand scheme of things. Um, so I think that's where I am with the Havertz 8 experiment and I, I don't like it, just to be clear. Um, and then there is something I wanted to talk about last week, but I didn't end up doing it and I'm quite mad at myself that I didn't because Arteta came out with a really cool press conference during the week talking about how there were supposedly 36, 37 different formations in the last game. And what I think he was referring to were different phases of play in which things were happening. And one of the things I wanted to talk about last week but didn't end up doing was how, because there is so much fluidity and movement in the Arsenal setup, there are almost instances where 
players get misprofiled in particular phases of play. So like the most glaring example I can talk about in that respect is White to a lesser extent, but maybe Gabriel at central centre-back when Saliba in the rounds have to step out to right centre-back when White's pushed up. Um, and in my opinion, I, again, I tweeted this, but Havertz is not inept, but just not good at about 70%, again, an arbitrary number, but 70% of the midfield phases. Um, so in that respect, I, I don't think he looked like he had a good game because I don't think he had a good game in most phases of play. And yeah, I think the 50th minute, around the 50th minute is a perfect summary of Havertz as a midfielder, which is where he's he's vacated his zone to receive out wide and there's space for him to dart into to receive from a Zinchenko pass. As Zinchenko pulls off that pass, it might actually be a bit too strong for Havertz to get to anyways. But Havertz just fails to have any sort of sort of movement or, or, or urgency to get to the to that ball. And I, you hear the collective groan of the Emirates Stadium again. And, you know, I, I feel like I could probably be heard from Scotland from the way I groan. <laughs> but then 10 seconds later, there's a loose ball because Bruno miscontrols it and Havertz is there to claim the, the, the loose ball. And we actually spring an attack from that. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like we're, we're not actually saying anything new. I think we've all kind of arrived at where we stand on the Havertz situation. Maybe we, we, differ slightly but you know I think we are kind of together on it and yeah I'm kind of just glad it's an international break because he normally plays well for Germany at striker <laughs> Alex <laughs> I wanted to ask because um, I think it's an interesting question which I think I've changed my mind after rewatch but do you think starting habits was the right decision uh, me anyone I the thing is yeah I I crazy to say I, I do think it's not crazy to say but yeah I, I do think because of out of yeah, possession stuff that's me as well I think what he did out of possession actually makes it worth it though I also agree he didn't have a good in possession performance which I think we'll be saying a lot this season if he plays as the 8 but I he's the genuinely not, it's but... a <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a it's a def it's almost a defensive decision with recognition that he can give you marginal gains in the final third if he gets on the end of balls. But it's a defensive decision to play Havertz, say, not an attack. And, and that, I know that's a, you know, it's not exactly like what you expect. black and white. But, yeah, that, that's the funny thing. I think also maybe this is me like being lazily like attributing it to him because our out of possession temperance, I want to say, of how we approach has changed. But I think he's kind of the perfect example of like what we do with a slightly more measured i want to say like not hesitant but a little bit like slower or sneakier like approach in terms of how we try close down opponents now rather than the intensity of like gabriel you see to be honest at Udigo as well with martinelli and, and saka and stuff i think he likes to kind of close off space and then close down there was one really good moment that manis and i were, were watching where he suddenly bursts um you know, jumps to press um, Onana and suddenly he's very quick. His frame kind of closes off any option for Onana except for to kind of clear it with his left foot. And it's a it's a bad clearance. We win the ball back. So I think he has a good kind of like, I just want to call it like, it, there's no cool phrase for it, but like he's kind of sneaky with his out of possession um, movements that actually kind of catch up and catch um, opposition out, of, out um, off guard. Look, just 
to add one more thing, I think he's also sneaky with those movements in attack, yeah. which is why I think he's a forward more so than a midfielder. And it, on the rewatch, I, I was on the missed shot, you know, where he he completely scuffed the ball. It's funny because the commentator at the time, I don't think it was actually the same one that I was watching on on the initial watch, said his first touch was great because that's an instinctive touch. And I think it's quite, I, I completely agree with that. I think in situations where he can act instinctively, sort of get his toe on the end of something or or make a, 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 a far post run, he's great and he looks really good. It's when he has to orient his body, adjust his positioning, sort his feet, do the things that you kind of expect the midfielder to do is when he looks clunky. So yeah, I, that's just what I wanted to say. To offer a slightly different perspective on the Harvard's midfield discussion, I think a lot of the negativity is just the in-possession stuff when he's receiving deep and playing deep. And I think there's two contributing factors to this. One is just there's a hesitancy still to pass to him in a lot of situations when he's open and making good runs to make himself available. When he doesn't have the same pressure he has on him, when he does receive the ball a lot of the times, which probably makes him divert to playing the ball backwards. I think we saw a few moments in the game where he drove with the ball, and those are moments that he's really, really good at. And the in-possession stuff in general, when he does have the ball and he seems very languid and very awkward and very deferent to other people, I'm still very much of the opinion that that's a lot down to him playing as a center forward for such a long time at Chelsea and playing in a team that's really dysfunctional. He himself said when he came in that he had to sort of reprogram himself to playing in midfield zones. And I still think that's apparent. And the main reason why I still believe that is because I saw him do it at Leverkusen. And I I can't quite get my head around him not being, not having that anymore. Alex. Well, my, my one thing that I've, I've kind of just bought as, as a reasoning is that he was like three foot, not three foot, three inches shorter at Leverkusen. Because um, a lot of what I watch with Havertz, especially because I watched the Leverkusen tape to kind of convince myself that we were doing something smart and he looked really good. And then he just, he doesn't have that fluidity um, for us. But I do, I do agree with one thing that you kind of said is that I think he's also come into kind of an unfortunate circumstances where Zinchenko has been injured the whole season so far. And then Partey's no longer really, um, well, no longer the six for us which means that there's a lot more pressure on him to be that guy in deep midfield, um, which Xhaka wasn't even expected to be last season. Yeah. You know, um, not to the extent that we've kind of relied on Havertz to be the solution centrally. And Havertz is less equipped to do it than ha- than Xhaka was. So it just looks, just it just looks bad. But I do agree that in terms of getting him to do stuff in the final third, to be that guy in the final third, we haven't actually... He hasn't had the best conditions that we could give him as of yet. Um, and I still see him as that tweener um, at the moment. I, I'm still undecided on really what I see Havertz as because he's a hard player to to make sense of. But for me, he's that tweener. And we're kind of asking him to do stuff in deep midfield, which he just looks clunky at. Yeah. And, but yeah, I, I said we weren't going to speak about Havertz for the fifth week in a row. And we've just spoken about him for like 10 minutes. <laughs> but it's an interesting position to be in because he's probably holds the keys to how we play this season more than most. Um, That's a frightening comment, (laughs) but yes. 
I think it's interesting that you mentioned the, the circumstances he found himself in, because that's something Arteta spoke about in the press conference, where he said basically that he, he's been playing with different personnel behind him and besides him each week. And as midfielders, you do depend a lot on how you receive and where you receive and who you receive from. Um, Arteta in general has been very much on the offensive in regards to Havertz and fans having patience with him and him coming good. Um, and I think we find ourselves in a position now where we have Fabio Vieira, who's played very, very well. And the general fluidity in the attacking third looks a lot better with him. And we find ourselves where we have the situation where when we drop Havertz, that will probably affect him a lot. And if we keep playing Havertz, we'll probably have the same growing pains we've had for now, for a few weeks, perhaps more, uh, if not longer. Manas, how do you see it going after the international break? Do we do you think we continue with Havertz in the eight, or do we change it up and find different solutions? I think if you'd asked me this before the United came, I would have probably said that there is a call to maybe drop him at some point because of the way that, you know, Fab- Fabio Vieira has been playing. Or maybe, you know, to experiment with uh, Emil, Emil Smith-Rowe as well. <laughs> but I feel Arteta is going to keep playing him just off of the back of what he said in the post-match about that weird quote that he made, right? Mm-hmm. About his wife and whatnot. <laughs> And I sort of like that agree with all, the entire summary, but I think the vision with him was essentially to have one attacking eight in the left zone and Odegaard, who's more accomplished on the ball in his overall game on the right. But right now, the dynamics demand him to be more of a midfielder. So I think we're, we're definitely seeing, at least we're seeing a good off-the-ball defensive game from him. But you know, most of of the fan base doesn't see that because you're watching on a screen and it doesn't show all the time. But there were instances where he made really impressive outside-the-box seam runs where maybe Saliba could have picked him up, but we decided not to play over the top in this game. We'll see. I think, like I think what Lawkins said, like for, for the marginal gains of him being in the final third, to potentially getting on top of the balls to score. He should have already had about three goals in this season. So I think we'll continue yeah. with him post uh, the international break. I agree. I, th- I think a lot of the discussion around him will dim a bit once he does score his first goal. And I do think it will vary. It's happening It's, the, it's the, happening versus Spurs. That's all I want to say. It's going to be an early one against the run of play against Spurs. I'm putting my money on it. That's a day after my birthday. I really, I'd really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, yeah, so we can close off the habits chapter for now, I think. Um, and maybe get on to another thing that perhaps wasn't as good as we'd want it to be. And that's just chance creation and attacking third dynamism. Um, with Rice being back in the six and uh, Sinchenko being back at left back meant White was reverted to being the right back. So we saw the re-emergence of the Saka Odegaard and White triangle. Uh, Logan, how do you think the the right-hand side dynamics changed from this game as opposed to the first three games of the season? 
Yeah, it looked it looked fluid at times. Um, the understanding between the players is very clearly there. Um, I again, I feel like I'm linking my tweets with everything that I say recently, but I, I tweeted about how we sort of decompacted the lines, um, the, the, the United's defensive lines by using a, a pass basically from Saliba into White and then White into Saka and Saka into Odegaard. And sort of those triangles and circuits look good at times. That being said, I was actually really impressed impressed with the way that United defended in, in general, but mainly the channels. Um, Rashford doubled up on the wings and I think Dallow's footedness really helped with defending Saka. So I think those those triangles weren't as maybe as ready, uh, readily visible as we might have anticipated. Uh, that being said, yeah, I, I think it was, and and also sort of sorry, White had to be a bit more reserved again situationally to to account for Rashford's positioning. But I think in general we will see that triangle sort of push on and that dynamic thrive a bit more than we've been used to seeing with Partey at right back. Sorry, this is a bit of an aside, but I just wanted to touch on Alokuna speaking about Saliba's role in decompacting um, United's block. And I think that's, on the discussion of central penetration, I think he's going to be very important to us this season. And Saliba's definitely taken like another step in terms of his on-ball game. I think he's always been a really good disguise passer um, and, and doing something that I like to call playing against the grain, which is basically against the way that the opposition press is trying to make you go, which is often the easy option. So like the right center back will play into the right back. He can disguise it and play it back into the six, um, you know, stuff like that. I think he's often been, he's always been good at that, but he's often really done it mainly using negative touches and kind of reactively. And I think what we're seeing now is Saliba is, is managing to play against the grain play a lot of disguise passes and kind of, you know, manipulate the block, but in a proactive sense and a really progressive sense where he's kind of stepped up higher and playing through. And I think he was a big part of what we did well. Um, I think we still kind of struggled to to really, because we're just trying to manufacture really dynamic moments, which means lots of quick passing and moving around. Um, but I think he was a big part of, of what we did well. And I think if we are going to be a little bit less penetrative through the middle in terms of our... Um, our positioning of our players, let's say, um, or being penetrative because of the positioning of our midfielders. I think having having him, um, yeah, just be a lot more proactive, provocative um, with his passing is, is a huge thing. And, and I think he really stood out in that regard, this game. Very much agreed. Um, Manas? I think a lot of what we're seeing from Saliba now is also dependent on the fact that he is the central centre-back, so both angles are now open to him. And we've seen him play this 90-degree pass into Odegaard in games. I think it was in the first couple of games when he was doing that. And again, in preseason as well. But there's another thing where when he's being pressed, he has the ability to shift the ball against the momentum and drive with it. Like He did it a couple of times against United. He lost the ball and was little bit risky, but he again, he can beat a couple of people on the dribble as well. So I think we're seeing a lot more of an evolution of his game as well. And, you know, what probably he always has had and shows in training, but now the position that he's playing is bringing more of it out. 
Now, we've spoken a lot about attacking third dynamism on this pod in recent weeks, and that's largely to, to because that's our main source of chance generation, generally, uh, currently. So I think it's worth uh, looking at this game and sort of dissecting open play chances versus set-piece chances. Uh, I think we, we did create a lot of big chances through set-pieces and neat set-piece routines, which is generally a positive and a sign that Nicolas Gilbert is uh, earning his money again. <laughs> um, but what stood out was a paucity of open play chances. Um, we had three clear chances before the Gabriel Jesus goal that I'd um, sort of disregard because it was a moment in the final game, uh, final stages of the game, uh, which were the, the Havertz chance arriving late into the box in the first half, the goal from Martin Odegaard immediately after the um, United goal, and the third one, I can't remember. The soccer chance. The soccer chance, exactly. Uh, which came through a cutback, if I can't re- if I remember right. It was a ball, sort of like a cross behind the United line. Yeah. We attacked the box really well from, from wide. Yeah. Um, all the other big chances in the game came through set pieces, and the goal that sort of broke the deadlock uh, in the end came from set pieces as well. Do we think attacking third dynamism and the chance creation that preceded it, which has been an issue for in all three, in all four games now, uh, to some degree, do we think that's a concern and how easily fixable or how fixable in general is that Manas or Logan? Yeah, I, I just say that to put it into, because I did wonder about this, I think it's a good question. And funnily enough, sometimes on the rewatches, I feel like I zoom in so much that I lose perspective of these these larger narrative uh, themes, rather, which are a bit more important. And it, 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 I categorize them into those three big chances as well. But in to put it into context, I think, firstly, City won, what, 5-1 this weekend against Fulham and had seven shots and like five on target, something like that. Again, I'm not going to touch on that anymore. They have Haaland and we don't. Um, but then we've also talked about how United um, defended the flanks really well. And I think that complicated things for us because we can't, as we talked about, we can't pass through the block centrally as well as some other teams can. So we have to rely on working out wide first. And they neutralised us out wide. I think both fullbacks had a really good game, especially defensively. And then also sort of our get out option of what is normally our centre forward dropping being Gabriel Jesus and Kesha did link play quite well sometimes but it was extremely situational and he's not as naturally associative as Jesus is so I think it makes sense in the grand scheme of things and in that vein I think it was it was okay it was passable especially given that United defended well Um, and I do kind of say that having seen our display against Fulham which of course ironically we didn't win but where we did look a lot more fluid and and better. Manas, anything to add? Yeah, I think this is in... So our, our chance creation is a direct reaction of the fact that we're having to change dynamics in build-up. So once players get used to that, we can arrive in the final third more dynamically. And if you think about it, whenever we did have the ball in the final third and we, you know had a little bit of time to pick pick passes and you know make our triangles. I think we did put the ball in the box. So 
It's about how many how many times can you actually access the box? How many touches you do you have, or perhaps how many touches did you have in the final third? We did we did fairly okay, but we you can definitely do better. It's not you know what we were doing up to last season where we were just like accessing the box constantly. I think it it's down to several factors where I think one thing that we can do is finding the underlap runs when. And because this time we did a lot of attacking through our left side. When Martinelli has the ball, there is potential for somebody to underlap, which Shaka was doing at the early part of last season, which he stopped doing. And I wanted him to like continue attacking the the underlap and, and getting into the box for the cutback. So I think there are certain things that we can do. We'll just find those com- combinations as we go ahead. Like it, it'll work so, because if you think about it, Havertz can make those. Underlap runs, but he isn't right now because he's being asked to come keeper. So I mean, yeah, it, it'll happen. I think it's yeah. That's just reminded me of because um, we've talked about how we suddenly look a lot more fluid when Vieira comes on, but obviously there's sacrifices elsewhere in the game, so it kind of has to be a game state substitution, or at least that seems to be the rationale. Have a uh, not have it. Uh, Arteta did comment during the week on I don't know if you guys saw on the idea of relationships and how developed off-field, off-field relationships sort of manifest themselves in on-field. And we know that Martinelli and Vieira have a really good relationship off-field and seem to have it in the limited instances that we've seen it on-field. Um, but it's just interesting that Arteta did actually comment on that. And I found it a tiny bit reassuring. I mean, it, it, it sort of manifested in the penalty that Vieira won against Fulham where he makes the horizontal yeah. run and then curves and goes out. So, I mean, you could you would expect Havertz to do that and he can do that. But, you know, these guys are probably every day they're talking on FaceTime, whatever, like they're discussing the game and what, what how, how, you know, what body position to pass me on, etc, etc. So, yeah, it definitely manifests itself in game. We should play Martinelli and Vieira together because their snap streak is over a year now, basically. <laughs> Um, Though I do uh, wonder how the uh, Saka and White dynamic uh, has evolved in that case, because we all know White doesn't watch football. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think overall, I agree. Like, especially because we do a part every week, I think it's easy to kind of have takes and get caught up in like, oh, is this working or isn't this? But going into the season, we all kind of acknowledged that it was going to take a while for these dynamics to click, Um, especially with roles that are complex like i think we also compare rice to habits a bit because rice is taken to it like a duck to water whereas habits is still battling with certain things but but yeah i think i think our i'm encouraged i think looking forward i don't think this was the best performance at all but i still think there were some really dangerous moments so so yeah i'm, I'm encouraged um but but yeah, I would like to see. I don't. I think Havertz will continue to start, especially now that Arteta's made these these points. But I think against teams maybe like Everton and stuff, where they're going to go long, um, rather than needing Havertz to kind of be influential in the press, I would love to see Vieira and what he can do in unlocking those defenses as well. Yeah, I think that's about. I think we summed that game up pretty well. And I think the game generally was just incredibly fun, if, if, if we can say it like that. And I think we should really make a habit of 
scoring injury time winners against United. I actually just wanted to know from now on. <laughs> My heart can't take it and neither can Logan's hip. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's get, it is getting ridiculous. Like I said to myself, I wouldn't celebrate if we scored a last minute winner. I said like in the, about the 70th minute, I said that to myself. And like, lo and behold, of course, I celebrated almost as hard as I have. But it's like, actually, it's getting ridiculous how often we're leaving it to the last minute. Because we really did deserve to win that game, Easily, at least yeah. in my opinion. But but again, it's, it's somewhat unsustainable if you're relying on 96th and 101st minute winners. Like... I don't think we were... there was a great tweet from someone I saw that said there was an interview with Saka where he said he prefers last minute winners over 5-0 thrashings and the tweet just said we have a team full of sociopaths <laughs> I feel we'll see a lot more goals scored just the 90th minute this season just as teams like who have better players or who can make those substitutions at the end might happen yeah, the added injury time also yeah. really helps in that regard that there's a lot more sort of believing that something can happen in those moments. But I think that's I think we should wrap up the discussion on the United game as beautiful as it was. To finally just before we get off uh talk about something else that happened, um for those who haven't heard, we're back in the Champions League this year and the draw happened. Um we are in a group with Sevilla PSV Eindhoven and Arce Lens. I'm just going to go around the panel and ask for your thoughts and any highlights from those three games that you're looking forward to. Let's start with Manas. Sorry, could you repeat? Uh, just the general thoughts on the group as a whole and any highlights, highlight games you're looking forward to. I think to. we have PSV again and Sevilla always a good team. So I think I definitely like uh, we should progress from this group and uh, I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to the Sevilla game Alex I think I know a game you're probably looking forward to as a Uber Eats enjoyer <laughs> um, yeah I'm looking forward to RC what's your reaction to the draw? I'm looking forward to RC Lance um, they're, they're a weaker team this year I'm, I'm kind of sad for RC Lance um, for you know, league owns coefficient or France's coefficient and and just in general for the spectacle of it that they've lost Seco Fofana and Openda. But they brought in some talented players, um, in Diouf, Andy Diouf and um and of course uh Elia Wahi. I think they're still gonna be a weaker team. I think all of the teams in this group we should handle should really, you know, emphasize their um I personally wanted us to have a big team in groups just as a fan from the fan perspective. I couldn't shake that. It's been what, seven, eight years out of the Champions League. I wanted us to, to go to Bayern Munich in the group stages already. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm a, you're bringing up ghosts of the I'm, past. Here, <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> it's retribution time, but no, no. Um, I, I wouldn't say disappointed, but it does feel very like Europa League. Like we brought we brought our Europa League friends with us to the big time and and but yeah I think I think it's also a good opportunity I'm sure you know the people actually in charge of the club are pretty happy about it and it does mean we can kind of manage this first half of the season better I think um so so I think it's a good draw for us objectively 
just when we thought we were out of the Europa League, they pulled us back in. <laughs> the bastards. Logan, any thoughts on the group and any games you're looking forward to? Yeah, I, I'm pretty much with Alex on this. I think we obviously have to earn our right to be there um, or to play against the opposition. Like, it's the Champions League. That being said, sort of the condescending big club fan in me is saying I would have wanted a bigger team, even if it was... Actually, I'm quite scared of buying a team. <laughs> but maybe, maybe if it was like Barca or something, someone who aren't quite good in Europe, but who are still a big team. Um, but that being said, yeah, Champions League games, it's cliche, but they're just notoriously very difficult. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we lost one of these games or had, had trouble either. I think, again, there's been criticism leveled at Arteta in Europe in the past. And I think there's relevant context to that, um, which we won't get into. That being said, Arteta does have to sort of earn his stars here. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited just to be in the Champions League more than anything. And I really hope we top the group because we should. I know Arteta has like a, you know, a not glamorous history in the in Europe so far, but I think we're going to be pretty good this season. And I think the way we have set up, I mean, yeah. you've already seen in the two big games we've played so far this season, I think we're set up well to nullify teams. Um, and I think that's going to that's gonna suit us really, really well in, yeah, in the group stages and in the knockouts particularly. So I'm, I'm quite excited to see us this season. I will say styles make fights. And I think a game against PSV Eindhoven under Peter Bosch is sounding extremely good for me. I really enjoy Peter Bosch's teams and they've recruited incredibly well. Uh, so I think I'm really looking forward to those games. And I think I speak for all of us when I say the moment the Champions League anthem hits again in the Emirates is a moment we're all looking forward to. Um, but I think we'll leave it at that for this week. Um, it's the international break now, which is fun as uh, someone who's watching a national team that's not very good. It's always fun for me to watch the international break. Um, we have a bit of content coming up for the international break. What? I was just going to say the world's smallest violin from me, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> we have a bit of content coming up for the international break. Uh, Alex will be delighted. There's a new Simon Kean pod on the way. Those are my favorite of our pods have to be the Simon Kean ones who aren't even members of Podshot, but Tiles will be hosting it. So I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah, and although we can't guarantee it, uh, there will probably be a dedicated preview podcast for the Champions League group stage, in which we just look at the opponents and how they're shaping up. Um, but that's it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at PodShotPod. You can follow Manas on Twitter at WatmanAFC. You can follow Alex on Twitter at AlexFRCO. And you can follow uh, Loken on Twitter at LXWrites1. Yeah. One. Exactly. Um, if you want to leave a review for the podcast, you feel free to do so and please make it five stars. Uh, the music for the podcast is made by James Blake and you can follow him on Spotify at JWBlake. That's all from us for today. Thank you for listening very, very much. And goodbye. <laughs>